and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. This is the Help Me, I'm Drowning edition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm your host, Emma Graney, and with me today, my fellow Provincial Affairs reporter, Stuart Thompson. Hey. How's it going? Great. It's good. City columnist Paula Simons wearing green good in day. honor of St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> yes, I am in honor of my completely non-existent Celtic roots. I'm surrounded by the three <laughs> the three Celts around me, and I'm wearing the green. Yeah, none of us are wearing green. Good <laughs> job, guys. Yes. I'm not a fan of St. Patrick's Day. Fair enough. And legislative columnist Graham Thompson. Well, I'm wearing a bit of blue in honor of St. Andrews. Uh-huh. <laughs> that that uh, Irish... Saint? The Scottish saint. Yes, I know. Is overlooked. I know. There's never a St. Andrew's Day. It is it's sad, isn't it? So you, have, you have Robbie Burns Day. It's, the, it's functionally yeah, the same that, thing. That's true. <laughs> so you may have noticed a big old thing this week called the budget. Uh, lots of fun that was. So I reckon we'll probably talk about that. Just a, just a, a hunch I have. Uh, we'll also do a quick look ahead to the PC leadership vote this weekend. Tomorrow, huzzah! And briefly talk about sewer rats. So let's first of all go to the budget, of course. It was the big thing that happened this week. So I was I was asking Graham this earlier. In Australia, it's a thing when you say, uh-oh, we're not swimming between the flags, because if you don't, then you drown because you get pulled out by a riptide. But Australia is a little bit more of a beach culture than Alberta. I have never heard that expression. You have now. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, we are now drowning in debt for the foreseeable future, which I don't think is really a surprise to anyone. Graham, you have covered a ton of budgets in your time, I've right? A few, yeah. Oh, a few. So what's this one like? This is the worst in terms of the actual overall numbers in terms of debt and deficit. Um, it is the worst by far. And I think this is was a problem for the NDP because we saw the poll earlier this week saying that uh, majority of Albertans don't like how the government is handling the economy and uh, handling its finances, and this is going to play into that uh, that perception that uh, they're doing everything wrong. Of course, this is a government that's been hit with a recession. We get a recession, the low price of oil. What they're doing is spending a lot of money. They're borrowing a lot of money, $6 billion this year on capital projects, but also borrowing $6.4 billion on operating. Like the day-to-day expenses of of government, they're actually borrowing a lot of money to keep the, the lights on. This is really a first in the last 25 years. We saw it happen last year with the NDP government borrowing for operating costs, but before that, the PCs um, you know, they did a lot of surplus money, but they managed not to borrow for operating. So there's that. But this budget, even though the government's pointing to their narrative, and that is they don't want to cut, they don't want to slash and lay off teachers and nurses and reduce government spending and reduce government services, that is, they're, they're borrowing so much money, though, that you've got to think, will Albertans appreciate the fact that they're borrowing to keep the lights on, or will Albertans look at the bottom line and say, this is a massive debt? And there's not that many goodies in the budget as well. If you're going to spend so much money, there should be something at the end of the, end of the road. They've got small things like you know that reduction in school fees by 25%, but that's, what, $54 million? We've got money to hire more crown prosecutors, but no one really sees that as a real goodie in terms of the, the justice system. They're doing a lot of things just to keep the government functioning, but it's that debt and deficit at the end of the day that's going to be a real killer for them. And, and what, at the end of the day, what they're actually looking for is the price of oil to recover. Yeah. And we're in the same trap. And you can say the NDP's inherited a mess and it's in a recession, absolutely, but they're still the government and people are, will be judging them on how they're handling it. 
It's funny because they do talk about diversity over and over again, and yet recovery, it really does. It hinges on the price of oil. That's that's just what's going to happen here. Yeah. It was interesting last night to watch... Sleep. It. I was so happy yeah. to sleep after yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like an idiot, I went to Swiss Chalet and had fudge cake and coffee after the budget, which was awesome. Tommy, why? But I had way too much coffee, and oh. I stayed up reading Twitter and reading The Economist Revolt on <laughs> Twitter, which I thought was really interesting. Uh Andrew Leach maybe was the most interesting one, who is obviously the guy who created the climate leadership plan or was the chair of that group. And um, he's not a massive critic of the government, but I've never seen him as sort of a partisan shill that he gets accused of sometimes. But he was tweeting something like, you know, this this doesn't look like there's a path to getting back to balance here. And him and uh, UFC economist Trevor Tome were kind of tweeting back and forth, just kind of saying, where do we go from here? It's very interesting that Tweet, we get... Tweeting scary graphs at each other. Yeah, a lot of scary, scary graphs. Scary, scary bar graphs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I retweeted a bunch of them that I thought were interesting. And it is, I mean, first of all, what a time to be alive that we can you know, all do our stories and then go on and see experts analyzing the same document that we were just doing in almost in real time. Um, but... There was a different. Man, what a time to be alive! <laughs> I mean, if you're a big, if you're a big nerd, <laughs> uh, if you're a big nerd, it's amazing. Uh, but it is just—it's fascinating, right? That we can just go on and look at that. And the most interesting thing to me was that there was definitely a change in tone there. That, and you saw this with the opposition parties who have been saying the same thing for a couple of years. But it did seem like you know, even uh, Liberal leader David Swan he was saying. You know, I understand why they ran deficits, and I support all of those ideas, but they don't seem to have a plan back to balance. And Joe Cece was pushed on that at his press conference a few times, and he was getting irritated, I think, by the amount of times he was pushed on it. And yeah. he was saying, you know, like we've con- we're going to control departmental spending to, um, you know, uh, the increase of population plus inflation. And uh, Trevor Tome actually on Twitter was saying that's not exactly true and put another scary graph up to demonstrate that. And I think, that, but that is not a path to balance because he, even CC has said himself that oil is not going to recover to the way it used to be. And if we are looking at a new reality in this province where oil isn't quite what it used to be, we need to change uh, how we spend to reflect that. And there's nothing in this budget. And I think last year you could have said they're running a deficit because we do need to keep the lights on. And you, you look at them and you look at the numbers and say, well, there's not a lot of around the edges they could have cut anyways if they want to stay true to the idea of not just slashing to get to balance. And I don't think that's the case this year. I think that they missed an opportunity to do some real cutting and or even just some, you know, it doesn't need to be huge numbers, but it could be something that showed Albertans that they were inclined to get to balance and that it was something that, that worried them that they weren't in balance, um, but they didn't do that. It's, it's interesting because I think borrowing for capital is something that I think people can understand better. And there's an argument to be made that in a time of recession, borrowing for capital uh, is actually prudently fiscal management. Uh, You borrow while borrowing costs are low, while uh, people need that stimulus. And the things that they're spending capital dollars on, schools, hospitals, twinning a bridge, those, you know, with deference to Graham, who said there are not many goodies here. I mean, I think for for Edmonton health care people, almost a billion dollars in promised hospital spending that's that's pretty nice and the schools will come in handy it's the borrowing for operating that is much more disquieting and big borrowing for operating even though frankly it's not like spending has gone up 
hugely as a percentage. I mean, we're back to bending the curve again, but yeah, but the curve is already the bent curve by its very bent. nature. But <sighs> but I I I was just you know I I look at those those debt and deficit numbers, and I had a you know I had a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. But I will tell you something, I posted Emma's story to my Facebook page the you know as soon as it was it was online and i di- i posted it sort of without comment just like you know here's our here's our main budget story more more to come i came back a few minutes later and the comments under it were send that the- go back to australia no no, no the, but the, but the, the the comments were why is post media being so negative about this this is a great <laughs> budget we love this we don't care about the debt and the deficit we're happy that they're not cutting teachers and nurses we're happy that they're spending this money and i read comment after comment and then people were saying you know why aren't they spending more money why didn't we you know why isn't there more money for hospitals why you know that, that you know 65 million for the misericordia that's not enough money and i thought there there is such a cognitive dissonance in this province, first of all, because people want the government to cut, 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 but also give them more stuff, <laughs> but they don't want to pay any taxes. So that, well, so, we, we saw so that, that, that in the poll this yeah, week. The yeah. Post Media poll said people want the top three things is lower my taxes, um, balance the budget, and spend more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy. That's right. I mean, you, you, need, you need to capture a whole lot of leprechauns to make... <laughs> to make all those wishes come true, but but the other thing that I thought was really interesting because I mean that's not new that that failure that failure to recognize that you can't have um, cuts in spending, cuts in taxes, and more stuff simultaneously. That that's an Alberta you know mind game that we've been playing for a very long time. But the other thing that really shocked me is that while all of the punditocracy are saying oh debt 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 is bad debt is bad. I looked at all of these people, all of these Albertans who were posting on my Facebook page who didn't care about the budget being this far out of balance. And I thought, well, I mean, I came of age as a journalist in that sort of Preston Manning, debt is really bad, you must cut, you must balance, you know, you can be socially liberal but fiscal conservative. And I thought, I mean, are all of us out of touch? Or is this just a a self-selected group of people on my Facebook page who are out of step with with what other people? people in the province think. I don't yes. know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, uh, going back to the uh, public opinion poll, again, um, we're seeing um, Edmonton being the island of, uh, I, call it, I call them contrarians because most of the province doesn't like where the NDP is headed, but Edmonton is supporting the NDP. The majority, like 52%, a small majority, are thinking, yeah, they're on the right track. And I, I was actually on CBC this week on um, the Alberta at Noon and uh, the calls from Edmonton were generally in favor of the NDP, and then those outside in Calgary and other parts of the province were against the NDP. So, yes, there's people in Edmonton in particular who think it's, they're doing a good job and that that shouldn't be that big a deal. But getting back to the point about the goodies, um, the thing is some of those goodies will be years away. Like the, the, the so-called new hospital, which they kind of leaked before the budget. Yeah, it's an imaginary new hospital. There's, there's no money this year. Um, there's maybe a few million, maybe, to start the planning process. The first money really towards it is next year, $50 million. doesn't get you much of a hospital. It's $400 million between now and 2020, I think. So this is going to be them reannouncing this hospital. I can guarantee it for the next two years to oh, the next yeah, election. Sure. But the thing is, a lot of the stuff, like even the promises of goodies, is actually years off. And so they're spending a lot of money. And there's no real – the status quo is really what they're, they're, they're paying for right now. There are, there are some things in there, but people are spending a lot of money um, 
and not really getting a big reward. And it's all because of the price of oil. It's dropped so much, this government can't find any sort of balance because that's why they're running such a big deficit in debt. And that is what's going to kill them unless the price of oil recovers or they find something else out there to, to get people's attention on the fact that – away from the fact that this is going to be a crushing problem for the future of Alberta. You know, and, and, and it's I – mean, nobody, nobody except maybe Jason Kenney in his, in his secret dreams wants to go back to the time when we slashed and slashed and slashed public service because, A – Making many, many, many more people unemployed during a recession is not really a great plan. And and B, it takes you a long time to build back up after you do that kind of slashing. But it's important to note that this government also inherited from the conservatives uh, very, very, very lucrative public service contracts that were signed by the conservative government in happier days. So unless the government intends to roll back public sector wages, which I'm guessing they do not, how do you... How do you deal with those staff costs? Because it's easy to pick out, you know, the 10 overpaid um, heads of boards or agencies and say, oh, look, why is that university president making so much? Why is that healthcare vice president making so much? But that is not really what is driving costs. What's driving costs are, the, you know, the huge middle ranks of the public service. And in that, I include nurses, I include teachers, I include doctors, I mean, all of the people who are on the public payroll who are making very, very healthy sums of money negotiated in better times. Well, what is your option there? To, to slash positions or to roll, back, uh, to roll back compensation? And neither of those things is a palatable or tenable strategy for a new Democrat government. Keep in mind, of course, you're right, Paula, that this year is going to be the big year for contract talks. Teachers are in there, nurses. Um, Dozens of um, locals with the AUPE, the Provincial Employees Union, 150,000 people more than likely this year are in contract talks. And so the question becomes for the government, what do you do about this? These are people who support you, and you, you know, you're going to protect their jobs, but what do you do in contract talks? If any sort of increase, well, A, that puts your budget even more in red ink in terms of uh, any pay increases. Also, it's going to get the, the public upset with you for continuing to protect teachers and nurses. Look, they're really important people, but politically what happens is, and we can say, what does the NDP do? They inherited a mess, absolutely, but politically what do you do when a majority of, um, of Albertans don't like what you're doing? Just briefly on the point about um, the, what the PCs did, I asked Rick McIver about this because, of course, the, the government is saying, well, we're not going to make the same mistakes that, government, that previous governments made. We're going to keep on spending. We're not going to cut teachers and nurses, et cetera, et cetera. I put that to Rick McIver and I said, you know, CC says that you guys made all these cuts and loads of people are out of work. Everybody had jobs when we were there. That's Rick McIver's quote. Nobody has jobs now. <laughs> it was beautiful. That's I was like, good. that's not actually true, yeah. is it? I think that Rick is looking two or three days down the road when there's going to be a new leader of the party. <laughs> he was Sculpting his... those lines is not part of his job anymore. Is that the segue now to the leadership? <laughs> well, can I just quickly say before we go, w these numbers are big. $45 million in debt, $71 million in debt by 2019-2020, uh, and, you know, big deficits. And something about the deficit that I think what I was talking about earlier about maybe they could have done more is that last year it was a $10.4 billion deficit. This year, $10.3 billion deficit. And well, see, you know, they're bending the <laughs> yeah. curve. Right. And resource revenue has gone up. 
since then. And uh, there's reasons for why they couldn't get that deficit down. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with the fact that they just, as Graham was saying, politically they can't do that because they have a really strong base in Edmonton. They're not inclined to risk that. And politically, I can't argue with that decision. Um, And something else to that point is that $71 billion in debt, it sounds like a lot. And I think we should just we should talk about it as if it's a lot of debt because in Alberta's history it is. Macroeconomically, it's not like it gets us in any trouble. And the finance minister will say this till his face turns blue that our debt to GDP ratio isn't terrible. And that's not the best measure of these things, but it is true that Alberta is not in any deep financial trouble right now. We're only in trouble if down the road we don't fix things. And that, I think, is the best criticism. Every opposition party said it. Every economist seemed to be saying it on Twitter last night that things aren't dire right now, but they could be dire if you don't get to a point where you have a plan that's realistic that gets these books balanced. And then in 2019, when you're actually facing those even bigger debt and even worse debt-to-GDP ratio, good luck in the election. No, but Stuart, Stuart makes a really important point. They could slash... I mean, they could do everything that Brian Jean tells them to do, and they would still not win the hearts of people in rural Alberta or in Calgary. So if you're taking a realpolitik view, what do you have to do if you've got any hope of staying on as a minority government? You have to hope that uh, that you can hold Edmonton and that the, that the Wild Rose and the Conservatives won't get their acts together and will still split the vote. I mean, that is their only path to re-election. So why bother to to be like the other guys when you know that that's not actually going to help you? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a good point just to keep in mind as well. No matter who was in power right now, if it was PCs or the Wild Rose, they'd be running big deficits right now. Everyone you, you'd would have to be. The price of oil is the, the big thing. Yeah. You, you can't chase that down the rabbit hole because then you'd have nothing at the end of the day <laughs> in terms of government services. So the thing is, the NDP is the government, though. The, the thing is, you could say the Wild Rose would have run a big deficit, and they would. So would the PCs. Might not be as big as the NDP, but they're the government. And they're the one with the target on their forehead. Can I just add one more point in the Trevor Tome tweet recap show we're having here? That he posted a graph <laughs> of the Prentice budget projected to 2020, and it balances by then. So it is possible. But Prentice was going to be doing a lot of painful things, and he had the political... Uh, the geographical political ability to do that, the NDP doesn't. So speaking of um, PCs, huh? <laughs> Segway. Graham and I, when this podcast is done, we're heading on a road trip. Hey, Graham. Graham's Good, super yes. excited about spending hours be, in a I'll car be with me. I'll and you'll be <laughs> editing this podcast. <laughs> but yes, we're heading down to Calgary for the PC leadership vote, which happens on... Saturday. That's right. They start voting Saturday at one. I was thinking the time, one o'clock. I think the ballots open. They one thirty they open, four thirty they close. We will know by five thirty who the new PC leader if is. If there's a winner in the first ballot. <laughs> Wait, I, I know now. <laughs> I'm so smart. I know now. You cannot possibly be seeing into the future, Paula. <laughs> I do not believe you. I am the Professor Trelawney of this podcast today. <laughs> So who reckons uh, Jason Kenny might win? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a, a, a walkover for him. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Of course, you never know. No, this is Alberta. Things, things, this is a crazy, things, crazy problem. You know, people are pointing to leadership races of old, you know, where this second, third place person comes out and wins. No, they've changed the whole system. Um, this is delegates this time, not one person, one vote, not a preferential uh, ballot. This is going to be 
Uh, Jason Kenny looks like it just outworked them all, outmaneuvered them all, and it's going to be with three people in the race. Let's mention the others as well as Jason Kenny, Richard Starkey, and Byron Nelson, who's a lawyer from uh, Calgary, and Richard Starkey, of course, is a MLA and the PC caucus. So it's going to be, we think, Jason Kenny. Uh, now, for us, the big issue is going to be what happens on Sunday. He meets with the board of directors. And next week, he's be meeting with Brian Jean. But okay, fine, one step at a time. Tomorrow at the convention, leadership convention with the delegates, looks like Jason Kenny is gonna is gonna win. Um, the other parties are hoping maybe his people are overconfident and those delegates supporting him don't turn up. And you know there are all kinds of ways <laughs> to try and figure out how could they possibly defeat Jason Kenny. A magic blizzard that that uh, only lets people from uh, progressive ridings in Edmonton into Calgary. I'm sure they're hoping for that. I'm <laughs> sure that's probably their strategy. I likened it to that Simpsons episode where Bart Simpson is running for a uh, class president and then uh, he just assumes everyone's going to vote for him and then no one turns up to vote and it turns out then that Martin wins. Only and the two nerd kids voted. Only the two nerd kids voted. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen. But. Well, nerd kids. And of course, the whole point here is that if Jason Kenny, the point that's so interesting is that Jason Kenny wins that his plan then is to unite the right and get the PCs and Wild Rose in bed together to form a brand new political party. That's right. And now the image of Brian Jean and Case and Kenny in bed together is oh, in my Paula, head for why? the whole weekend. Oh, no. And I would also argue that Jason Kenny is more Martin Prince than Bart Simpson. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Yeah. It is that does that then make Jace, make Brian Jean the Bart Simpson in this yeah, analogy? He's more Bart Simpson. He's got the hair, I guess. <laughs> but no, I mean this is this is the end. We should we should take a moment here to mark the end of an era. This is the end of the Progressive Conservative Party as we've known it, the party of Peter Lougheed and Don Getty and Ed Stelmack and Jim Prentice. Say bye bye. Um, that's that's a legacy of forty four years. Some good governance, some less good governance, but a remarkable legacy in power. And this is the end. Um, Jason Kenney will put a bullet in the back of the party's head, and uh, what happens next, we still don't know. But we do know that that is the end of the PCs. Uh, as, as a political force in this province. After that, of course, they have to figure out what exactly they're going to do. Starting a new party means they're not going to have any money and they're going to start from scratch because they're not going to be able to transfer money from any other party. Brian Jean's preferred course of action is, of course, having the vote and absorbing PC members into the Wild Rose Party, changing its name, and then at least they have their you know war chest full of millions of dollars that they have right now, or a million and change, I suppose it is. So, yeah, you're right, Graham. We'll see where this takes us next week. Yeah, because uh, as I say, they'll be meeting on Sunday with the the new leader and the board of directors. And if it's Jason Kenney, there's people on that board who do not want Jason Kenney as leader because they see him dissolving the party. I mean, they they wanted him disqualified in a perfect world. A lot of them did. Also, the thing is, though, a lot of them also thought last year that the progressives will rally and defeat him on the convention floor. And that hasn't happened. So people right now who are coming out publicly, Ron Gitter, um, Doug Horner, who are saying, you know, I'll tear up my my PC party membership if this happens. Well, where were you last year, gentlemen, in terms of where were you six months ago? Well, the, you're right, Graham. Yeah. A lot of them did think they thought that he wasn't that Kenny just wasn't going to gain footing. I've been speaking to a lot of a lot of these folks lately, and they just didn't think Kenny was going to get traction. They just thought, no, 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 no. I mean. Where the PCs, where the progressive conservatives, this is no way that this plan is going to take off. And of course, he's absolutely steamrolled it. So the question on Sunday is, how does the board of directors, there's 50 of them, 
they're volunteers. Well, what do they do? You know, do, do they do, do they quit? Do they stay on and help him? Do they stay on and try and make life difficult for him to try and trip up his plans to dissolve the PCs? And then, of course, Jason Kenny wants to meet with Brian Jean to, to open negotiations with the Wild Rose. But Brian Jean, as you pointed out, Emma doesn't want to play by Jason Kenny's timeline or his rules. He wants to do it under the Wild Rose umbrella. And he and he doesn't want it, he doesn't want to give his leadership of his, of his party that he rebuilt after da- the Daniel Smith debacle. I mean, Brian Jean has spent a lot of time in the last year and a half rebuilding that party from the grassroots up. And why would he want to give away what he's what he's accomplished? And that is a great point that I hadn't really thought about that you have to it's so like this province politics moves so fast it's hard to even think back two years to just the decimated state that party was in when brian jean came along and he was the best candidate of a bad bunch but he wasn't seen as some you know political savior that was going to drag it out of the ashes and make it an electoral force and he did that and we look at that poll that graham referred to earlier and jean is you know marginally better liked than jason kenny and the thing is the top is I don't know yeah, and not else. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like thirty percent for not sure, thirty percent for I don't know, and then Jason Kenny and Brian Jean share the rest. And but I do think the major advantage that Jason Kenny has, and when you think of politics, you always assume that everyone's thinking strategically and everyone has these grand plans. But I think it's pretty clear that most of them don't, and a lot of them are just trying to. Joe Cece, he was joking, but he made that joke yesterday. Somebody (laughs) mentioned the 2019 election. He was like, I'm just trying to get through this press conference. Jesus. (laughs) And I think that in politics, that is the case. You're just trying to get through the day. And there's a lot of stuff coming at you. And Jason Kenney, from the beginning of his political career, has been thinking farther ahead than just about everybody else around him. He's been thinking about it in electoral terms. Um, You know, I mean, he's opened up a whole new uh, faction of voters for the Conservative Party. And I think he's planned his career out pretty pretty closely, too. And when he got into the progressive conservative race last year, he was underestimated. And the reason he won is he outworked everyone. But he also just knew what to do. He went around this province in the summer, and he went to all these ridings, and he knew he had to talk to delegates and get them signed up. And he had to get people on the boards of all these constituencies. And you know, September rolled around and nobody else had done that. And there wasn't actually any time for the rest of them to do it because, for example, Starkey is, had fall session to deal with. And, and I, that just, it just never was going to happen. So, Kenny, the reason that I think a lot of us don't underestimate him is because we've seen this. From the very beginning of his career, he's just been, and I don't even think it's a matter of being smarter than everybody else, but it's a matter of outworking and just thinking a year down the road when nobody else is thinking that way. I think the one strategic error he did make, though, uh, because Stuart's right, I mean, he played a great chess game. Uh, what he didn't need to do were bring in a lot of the like old trolls of the PC party, the enforcers, uh, who gave his campaign an air of playing dirty pool. He could have won on his merits. Uh, he didn't need to do the sorts of, you know, sleazy things like the the hospitality suite that was, you know, maybe three inches away from where it was supposed to be, or, you know, I'm going to disagree with you actually, Paula, because I think bringing, he had to bring in those old faces of PCs. They're the ones with the contacts. They're the ones who know the, who know the writings, right? They know who the supporters are in all the different constituency associations. They're well known and have pull, you know, they have pull of their own in Alberta, especially in places where perhaps people don't know who Jason Kenney is. I think he, 
I think that was a smart move. I mean, I take your point. Uh, let's look at Alan Horman. I mean, he turned around and threw it through Catherine O'Neill. Well, who cares if we get a fine? We can afford it. Um, and, of course, he was uh, he was suspended from the PC party over some inappropriate tweets. And then he's no longer on Jason Kenney's team, um, campaign team, apparently. Uh, but I don't know. I think bringing in those... It's a gamble. I yeah. Mean, it, like, and it's we don't paid know off, yet. though, I think. We don't know if it's paid off yet because I think the only thing that could sink Kenny is that he's seen as the nasty that is candidate. True. And yeah. if you're the Wild Rose, you're looking at him and you're going, did you see what he did to the PC party? Like, they don't... The brand of the PCs is in the toilet right now. And you can't blame Jason Kenny for that completely, but, you know, the demise of it was an ugly one. And this was an ugly race. And if he is seen and his campaign is seen as too nasty then this isn't going to work because they need people to vote for it. And the thing is, he doesn't have to play the nasty card because in person, he can be quite affable and charming. And he could have been the affable and charming candidate who steamrolled over everybody. (laughs) Uh, I mean, they'd be just as flattened. Now, I just want to briefly talk about um, the controversial comment that Sarah Hoffman made earlier this week. Speaking of charming and affable people who should not... Say mean things? Not say mean things. Mm. Uh, Okay, so in fairness... Sarah Hoffman did not call Albertans sewer rats, um, no matter how much Jason Nixon of the Wild Rose would like to tell you that Sarah Hoffman called everybody sewer rats. My question then is, who was she calling sewer rats? I think she was calling rebel media sewer rats. She, here's the problem. But she didn't when say that. She didn't. Nor Sarah did Hoffman she didn't clarify it. She didn't put it in context in question, nope. period. It was never put into context and it was never, never clarified. But um, props to Sarah Hoffman that I say she said, you know what? I apologize completely i should never have said it i just and i think it was you graham who said you know what did you mean and she went i'm not even going to try and justify it because it's not justifiable and like i'm not even going there sorry sorry and the sorry. actual um, and to paraphrase what she was saying was questions from the opposition but the questions the opposition are loaded now they're, they're very nasty very often the questions are just ways of whacking at the government but the ndp government too often just takes a whack back at the opposition so there's no real question or answer but in this case sarah hoffman said um uh, we're interested in hard hats you're just hanging out with sewer rats and of course, the context wasn't there. Who did she mean? The opposition jumps all over it. But it's interesting. She said it was uh, completely... She wouldn't say who she was referring to, but she said it was not something that she had rehearsed. But uh, I got to say... That sounded kind of rehearsed to well, me. The, the previous day, um, Shannon Phillips, uh, and one of her non-responses to a non-question was, we're interested in hard hats over here. You're interested in tinfoil hats meaning you know, the climate change deniers. So there's this hat thing going on mm. where, so one day it's tinfoil hats versus hard hats, next day it's hard hats versus sewer rats. So there's also a rhyming theme going on I love here. rhyming. But <laughs> it just seems that they, they, they do seem to be things that they're, they're, they're rehearsing behind the scenes as to what they can call the opposition that rhymes with ATS. But- well, I think also I, two uh, government people came up and told me <clears throat> in the course of larger conversations unsolicited that this was not rehearsed i didn't ask if it was rehearsed or not so this makes me think that it probably was and <laughs> they, uh, such a cynic but who knows um and i think also there were some people like even reporters around us were and i think you know i've heard this from a lot of people that you know it's a kind of a silly little thing and the wild rose is guilty of much larger crimes with you know their supporters saying nasty things but i do wonder about this because I was in America in November, and I left on Election Day, and we were driving around in the rural areas of Oregon and Washington, not like uh, Trump country, but we were in sort of the rural areas, and there were signs on several 
you know, kind of farmhouses saying proud deplorables live here. And, you know, we are deplorables and proud. And that was a reference to the comments Clinton made about Trump supporters. Some of them are baskets of deplorables and they're irredeemable. And that, I think, was part of a reason, part of the reason why, if you look at why Trump won, there's a bunch of different reasons because he won by like 100,000 votes across three or four states. But a lot of the cause of that was uh, major turnout in uh, rural districts. And they were coming out in larger numbers than they ever had before for Mitt Romney, for anyone. And I think that maybe people in those areas, so for example, if you're in rural Ohio and you're dealing with the opioid epidemic and you don't have a job because steel plants have closed, you uh, feel like this conversation isn't about you. And then, you know, there's kind of this, you know, they talk about elites, but I think we kind of make fun of that when Kelly Leach says it. But I think people do feel like in urban areas, they are people who are looking down on them. And the deplorable thing put into words how they felt. Like, yeah, they do think we're deplorable out here. And it kind of stiffened the backs of a lot of Trump supporters. And I would be very, very cautious if I were the NDP, which has a stronghold in Edmonton, which is like of the two major centers in Alberta. That's the one that if you're in a rural area, you probably assume people look down on you. Uh, I would be cautious if I were the NDP. If you're looking for rural votes, these kinds of comments, I think, take hold. A lot of Wild Rose supporters were changing their uh, their Twitter names to sewer rat, such and such, sewer rat, yeah. this, that. There's and the a other. rat emoji too, which is yeah. Well, there'll be t-shirts in a minute if there aren't if there aren't already. I, I know. I was last week. We sat in this little room, and I remember you guys because I I wasn't in QP last week, but I remember you guys distinctly talking about how Sarah Hoffman was being too chippy. Um, being too we did too, we? too aggressive in her answers, not answering the questions, being out there as the attack dog for the party, and you know one of you said something about oh, it's going to be a mistake. Well, and boom, there yeah, it is. Yeah, that's how we said it too. <laughs> yeah. Emma does a way better impression of Graham, by the way. <laughs> but but you know this is this is the problem. You get your blood up in QP. And, you know, maybe it was maybe it wasn't rehearsed. Maybe it was just one of those spontaneous things that your brain raised on too much. Dr. Seuss just says it. Um, And (laughs) and then, you know, you can't you can't walk it back so easily. But, you know, this is not. Do I think that Sarah Hoffman thinks all Albertans are sewer rats? No, but then don't say something so remarkably stupid that gives your opposition such leverage and such ammunition. I mean, just. Sit down. And just finally, um, Sewer Rats, of course, made me think of Splinter from Ninja Turtles, and I can do the entire Ninja Turtles theme song, and I did it in the press gallery, and I think I impressed everybody. (laughs) So on that note, I want to switch now to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery. Stuart, what do you have for us this week? Uh, Just further, if you're looking for more reading on the kind of uh, rural Ohio people who voted for Trump and got mad about deplorables. I'd recommend the book called Hillbilly Elegy. It was kind of, uh, you know, around the time of the election, it was kind of popular, and the author has kind of resisted this idea that his book explains Trump supporters. Um, but uh, beyond that, it is just a very fascinating insight into the people who get left behind in the conversation we have during elections and, you know, in politics in general. Um, so it's a great read. I actually recommend the audiobook because he reads it himself and it, it kind of gives it a nice flavor. Nice, Paula. It was not a good week for Rebel Media. 
And rather than suggesting that you go to the Rebel website, I'm going to recommend that you go to the Canada Land website, where the Canada Land people have saved you the bother of watching hours and hours of hate blogs from uh, the Rebel and broken it down for you nicely as the Rebel goes after Muslims, Jews, Muslims, Jews, Jews, and Jews. Um, so, uh, yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day. In- enjoy that. I mean, maybe this- enjoy that with a pint. That's right. This, the, of the, green the, beer. This prompted federal conservative candidate Chris Alexander to finally disavow the rebel. It's nice. Wow. To, it's nice to know <laughs> that Holocaust denial is still the bar. Um, I'm going to recommend a. Uh, a column by our National Post colleague, Colby Kosh. Stuart actually put me onto this after something that happened this week. Uh, Colby Kosh's column on, an Alberta politician revolts against the conflict of interest rap. Here's why you may care. So this actually did come up this week in the House. Uh, Rick McIver, it's to do with him being fined by the Ethics Commissioner and whether or not that is even something she has the power to do. It is potentially something with huge ramifications for the Westminster parliamentary system. Not that it's a big deal. Graham. Uh, quickly, um, a piece in the uh, Atlantic magazine last week, white evangelicals believe they face more discrimination than Muslims. And this is a, I'm reading from the headline. A new study suggests different groups of Americans see their country in radically di- divergent ways, and they're asking um, fundamentalist Christians who see themselves being the oppressed group in America. And it's interesting people's perceptions, you know, and how it plays in, in the elections, and it goes back to hillbilly elegy uh, and how people were supporting Trump and how they see themselves. And, of course, you would think, no, Muslims are under attack, but no, in white Christian, fundamental Christian neighborhoods, they see themselves as the ones who are under attack and need protecting. So it's really interesting. And just briefly, too, I want to give a self-plug to every one of us who did budget coverage yesterday. And I will do it because I didn't do any budget coverage yesterday. So read read the great stuff by Emma and Stuart and Graham, but also by Janet French and uh, Yuri Graney and Elise Stolte and Keith Chirine and Bill Ma and everybody else who I probably forgot. And shout out to Sarah O'Donnell who had to wrangle us the whole day. Yeah, poor yeah. Sarah. Thank you guys so much for being here with me today. Stuart, Paula, Graham and Ian here to film some of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all of our previous episodes. You can also sign up to our SoundCloud channel, iTunes and TuneIn Radio. Hope you join us again this time next week at the Press Gallery.